I'll do my electronic device this time. But hopefully you've got your Bible with you because that's where it's important. I want you to be able to read that Bible, right? I'm a child of God. God. Having my hand, hand. the powerful Word of God God. can change lives, lives. heal broken hearts, hearts. save man's soul. soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look over at your neighbor and say, you are beautiful. And then, then say, reach over and start kissing on each other. Just, just talk to each other. <laughs> no, that's good. If you need to share a kiss in church, that's the best place to do it. Amen. All right. We are going to be in the book of Esther. So turn there. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Esther. Well, a few more pages. 777 in my book, but it's up to you where yours is. By way of recap, last week uh, we introduced a couple more prophets that God sent. Ezra and Haggai. And the return to Jerusalem had begun. God had to use an unusual circumstance and person to create that. The Babylonians had been in control and the Persians then took over and King Cyrus was sensitive to the things of God as we read and learned. And so he then encouraged the Jews to go back home. And as you know, around 50,000 of them did. And we learned a couple of things last week that are in your outline. We learned that God's priority, uh, Jeff, I think it should be that next slide. God's priority is to be in our presence. And our priority is to be in God's presence. Which practically means we should be practicing the presence of God Today, God's presence should be in in us, around us, through us, all over us. If we live within the presence of God, we're going to do things differently. Amen? Yeah, we will. So we learned that last week. Also, by way of recap uh, and, and keeping you caught up, in 606 B.C., Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. In 536 B.C. was that initial return of those 50,000 Jews to Jerusalem. That seems like a whole lot of people, but there were still quite a few that stayed behind. We'll talk about that in a minute. In 516 B.C., the temple was finally rebuilt. And then in 478 B.C., Esther became the queen of Persia. God is not mentioned throughout the entire book of Esther. Now, that's an interesting thing. Uh, But you'll see His hand, His leading, His guiding throughout the whole book. And there's an underlying message for us. I'm going to give you three of them as we go through. So you'll want to tune into that. Kind of stay awake so you know where we are. But many of the Jews had returned. Some 40 years before she became queen, 
50,000 as I mentioned. Esther's a story of God's people who remained in Babylon. They had become acclimated to the Persian culture and they had integrated into it and they wanted to stay. Either they had intermarried or for whatever reason, they didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. And King Cyrus got the ball rolling and then the next king, Xerxes, comes along. And when he became king and when he was established as king, this guy was a partay kind of person. You understand what I mean, partay? All of you looking at me funny. If I say party, does that get you? How about celebratory spirit? Does that get you? That's more of the biblical way of approaching it, I guess. But he not only had a party, he not only celebrated, it went on for six months. He was, and oh, drinking, Lord have mercy. They were drinking alcohol, getting drunk a lot. And he would always say, well, this isn't enough. Now, we experienced this all-night celebration three different times with our boys called Grad Fest here in Jinx. That's where you graduate and then you go to Grad Fest and you stay up till about seven in the morning. And they go all night long. Well, when Mark was a senior, of course, you know, you volunteer to help, right, as a parent. Really, the whole reason you're there is to stay up and make sure your kid doesn't do something silly. And I got assigned to the casino. That's a good place to put a preacher around the roulette wheel at Grad Fest. It was so funny because kids would come up to the table and then realize what adult was there. And then they would act like, boy, this is a fun game, isn't it, preacher? This is wonderful. Yeah. But as fun as that was, it was nothing to compare to what Xerxes pulled off. He was always one more day, one more week, one more, one more party. Let's pick up our story in Esther chapter 1. Verses 10 through 12. On the seventh day of the feast, King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine. Told the seven eunuchs who attended him, and there they are, let's go to the next verse, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty for she was a very beautiful woman. Verse 12. That's, now let's go to verse... Uh, no, that's good. Verse 12. I want to spend just a moment here. Now what he's asking, this is written very nicely. What he was asking, because he was drunk, he wanted his beautiful wife to come out and disrobe in front of all the men. So that he could... And they could admire her beauty. You know, we do some really silly things when we're drunk. My job in high school, I didn't drink. My job in high school was to make sure that those that did got home safely. That seemed to be my role. One of my friends named Richard, he was 
always getting drunk. And one night, I just had, had had enough of trying to keep him out of trouble. So we were walking home, and it was probably midnight, because we didn't have a car. So we were walking home, and he walks flat dab into a tree. Now that alone was funny. But what happened next was more funny than I could ever describe, but I'm going to try. He backed up, and he thought that was a person that he ran into. And so he began this yelling and screaming and cursing, and I'm going to tear your head off. I'm going to, I mean, some very flowery language this young man was using. But that wasn't funny enough. He decided he was going to tackle that guy. So he backed up and he ran into that guy and was going to take him down. Not once, not twice, but on the third time, Richard didn't get up. That old boy hit him so hard, he didn't even know what day it was. And so for the rest of the time walking home while I was laughing, he was bleeding, and the next day was classic. He said, what happened to me? His face was cut up. His body was all bruised up. His fists were all tore up from where he'd been hitting that guy, right? And I said, brother, you ran into a buzzsaw last night, man. I'm telling you, that guy goes to, I mentioned another high school. He goes to that other high school. I, if I were you, I'd stay away from that boy. He said, man, I guess so. I don't look very good. I said, ah, it was rough. Well, see, you do some crazy things when you gotten yourself so intoxicated that you don't know what you're doing. And so he's bringing his beautiful queen out and he's going to display her. And she says, no, 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 no. I know what you're up to. And he begins to show a little regret. As I said, some of us and some of you have uh, regretted Something you've done while you were drinking. We've got plenty of we've got plenty of examples around us from the Hollywood crowd, from the music industry. All we've got to say is Justin Bieber, <laughs> or Justin M. Bieber. Yep. <laughs> I think he needs to change his name to Justin. I'm always drunk. He's a mess. Somebody with too much money and not enough people around him to. Help him. But then again, he doesn't want it, right? Because he doesn't have a drinking problem. He'll tell you that. Most alcoholics do tell you. That's what over, overweight people say too. Oh, I don't have an eating problem. Okay. Let's pick up our story in chapter 2 of Esther and verse 7. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, talking about Mordecai who was called Esther. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. This This is the pivot in the story. Vashti now has been expelled as the queen and the king needs a new queen. So, he then puts out word that he's going to find one. Jump down to verse 17, chapter 2. 
And the king loved Esther more than any other young woman. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. You know, it makes a pretty good lower story in our upper story. The upper story, as we've been going through this series, is that God has a plan. And the lower story is how we fit into that plan. And we don't always see it, do we? But God has a plan. And really, if you think about Esther, you think about it's a Cinderella story. I mean, she was uh, homeless. Parents had died. She needed assistance. And Mordecai, her uncle, takes her in, begins to raise her in the ways of God. But she equally was as beautiful as Vashti. And she becomes queen. And it ends, it's an ending of a good lower story, but it's not the end. But unfortunately, most of us will stop right there. Once things look okay, we stop. We're we're satisfied. We're content to be where we are with the blessing as much as we receive. Even though God may have more, we're just going to stay right where we are. See, we're content with the lower story rewards. We're content with the stuff that God brings to us. We're content with the physical things that we see. We're content with the position we've attained. We're content with the temporary stuff. But if the truth be told, we're content with that lower story. And something about the story of Esther teaches us that we need to learn. The first one is, in your outline, is don't trade an upper story adventure for a lower story reward. Don't trade an upper story adventure for a lower story reward. Your story is not done yet. You may have accomplished a lot with God. Oh, just wait. Because there could be much more yet to come. So don't cut it off yet. Don't be content yet. Don't get satisfied where you are. That's what happens to most Christians. We get satisfied where we are, we quit growing. I've even had people say, I've read the Bible through, I don't need to read it again. Really? You got everything there was to get in the Bible one time, two times, fifteen times through. You got it all. Man, you are amazing. Then you ought to be able to quote Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Amen? How about Matthew 4.4? 4? How about 1 John 1.9? How about 1 John 2.1-2? through 2? How about John, 1 John 4.1-2? and 2? How about John 3.16? Better yet, John 3.17. How about those? How about Matthew 6 and the whole... The whole section on the Beatitude. How about that? How about Matthew 7, 1 through 8? How about Romans 8, the whole chapter? Well, you're not, well, you're satisfied. How about Psalm 23? See, when I was in college, I thought Psalms was palm, Job was job, and when he said Habakkuk, I just thought he was cussing us out in Hebrew. I had no idea. 
But don't trade an upper story adventure for a lower story reward. Don't settle. God's got yet things for you to do. Yet blessings to come. But if you sit down and be content and stop, He can't bring it. Because you got no idea what God's up to. So Mordecai, and back to our story, Mordecai hears the rumor that a couple of guys are going to kill the king. They're the ones that watch over his chamber. And so Haman is a guy that rises in power. And Mordecai, he tells Mordecai that he needs to bow down to him because he's the next in command and you ought to be showing me honor and glory. So get down, boy. <laughs> and Mordecai won't bow down to him. Now Haman had an interesting heritage. He was probably a, a king of one of the countries that Babylon conquered. And so when he was taken into captivity, he, he, was, you know, he was sharp enough and sold himself enough to where the king, for some reason, elevated him and made him a prince and a, a powerful position in the kingdom. And he found favor. But he was an Amalekite. And it's not really known why Haman was a vengeful man, especially toward the Jews, but he didn't like the Jews. And when he found out Mordecai was a Jew, he set out to make sure that Mordecai was destroyed. Let's pick up our story again in Esther chapter 3 and verse 6. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. You see, he not only wanted to take out Mordecai, but he said, well, if, he, if he's here, there's a whole bunch of them. So I'm going to take them all out. And so, by a roll of the dice, he determined a day that he would, that would be decided to exterminate the Jews. And if you were one of God's people in that place at that time, <clears throat> you might have thought that God was going to abandon you. Or had abandoned you. That he was not there. That he didn't really care. That he was absent. It really makes for a pretty bleak lower story for God's people at this point in this story. But brings me to the second lesson I want you to pick, take away. And that is, don't equate a lower story difficulty with a missing upper story. If you were one of God's people in more a year ago, you might have thought that God had abandoned you. That God wasn't there. That God doesn't care. I mean, why would He let something like that devastation happen? Why would He let ten innocent children die? Well, Mordecai had a plan as well. And Mordecai's plan was to utilize his adopted niece. And so he gets Esther aside and tells Esther to go into the king and explain to him what's going on. Reveal yourself so that he knows that you're here to save not only yourself, but all of us as well. 
And Esther responds, anyone who appears in the king's inner court without being invited, and the king has not called me for over a month, she does what you and I do all the time. We start coming up with excuses why we can't do what God needs us to do. I mean, after all, Esther remembered Vashti. (laughs) And Vashti stands for vanish. You vanish. If you reject or do something against what the king's wishes are. But you see, God is still writing the story. Not only for us, but for her. But especially for us, because it's easy to opt out. It's easy to say, you know what, I, I, I don't fit into the scheme. I don't fit into God's plan. He's asking me to do something I'm really not comfortable doing. And so I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to say, nope, not pa- I'll pass on this one, God. You may be passing on a tremendous opportunity to do something great for God. Because it might be too much of a risk. It could cost you too much. It's too great a sacrifice. That's when churches grow. It's when people are willing to take a risk. When people are willing to pay the price. When people are willing to sacrifice. It doesn't matter what it is. We're going to do whatever it takes to get somebody to Christ. Amen? Thank you for joining me, whoever that was. But it's easy to find ourselves in this position. To settle for that lower story reward. I mean, after all, God's blessed me, but God's personal blessing is not the end of Esther's story, and it's not supposed to be the end of our story. Let's look at Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Here it is. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Maybe that's why you're here, right place, right time, for a reason. It's no accident that you're right here, now in a position to intercede for God's people, Mordecai tells me. God is at work. God is up to something. It's not by chance. It's by God's sovereign power. When we pray for Ira, Ira was facing some tremendous jail time. Only to have this thing come back around and then finally to admit, we're not not after him at all. We're after this guy. Man, that was just lucky, wasn't it? No, he gave April a chance to tell her brother, look what God's doing in you. You see? It's no accident. Looking in the rearview mirror, Esther could look and she could see things starting to make sense. Why had they stayed behind when everyone else was going back? For such a time as this. Why did Vashti refuse to go to her king when she was summoned? But such for a time as this. Why was Esther among those chose to become candidates for Xerxes' new queen? For such a time as this. Why did Haman have it in for the Jews? For such a time as this. Well, Mordecai helps Esther to gain perspective. 
Esther, he says, you're not here to just accumulate an exquisite wardrobe, some gems and fragrances. You're not here to just be the most attractive and most admired. You're not just here to be attended to by servants. <coughs> Esther, you've been brought here by God's plan to deliver God's people. But maybe you and I can gain some perspective from Esther. We're not here just to enjoy the good life. We're not here to gather up more stuff. In fact, we need to unload stuff. Get rid of stuff. I made the fatal mistake of letting Cindy know that her car would be paid off here in a few months. She, she immediately said, oh, that'd be great. Then we won't have that car payment. To which I was thinking, hallelujah. Only to find out yesterday that she's already shopping for the next car. <laughs> so my lesson learned is don't tell her anything. Amen. I mean, <laughs> maybe you're in the job you're in right now for such a time as this. Maybe you're, you're making the salary you do right now but for such, such for a time as this. Maybe you live in the neighborhood you're in right now, but you'd rather be somewhere else. But you're there where you are now for such a time as this. Maybe you're going through an illness right now, but it could be such for a time as this. Maybe your kid's on that particular soccer team right now for such a time for God to work in you to maybe help a struggling marriage. Maybe to strengthen a young Christian. Maybe to share your faith with an unbeliever. Maybe to comfort someone who's hurting. One of the things that Cindy and I discovered when we were raising our children in the sporting events, and you spend hours at these places, is we made some of the greatest contacts for God at those places. We baptized a lot of people who we'd have never been able to talk to if we didn't have baseball to sit and visit. So, folks, take, take advantage of these opportunities that God gives you for such a time as this. Go back to our story, Esther chapter 4 and verse 16. Go and gather together all the Jews of the Susa and fast for me, for uh, do not eat or drink for three days, nights or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So you see a pivot now in Esther. But look, she says, let's pray and fast. Whenever you need to make a major decision in your life, you should pray and fast. And during that praying and fasting, you should be praying for God's direction in whatever it is that you're needing to decide. Focus. And when you get hungry, pray. When you get tired, pray. That's what it's for. You're going to find something happening within you. So Esther's pretty, pretty wise, pretty smart. She goes and the king is pleased and... She says, I, I want to have a banquet. So banquet number one is set up. She wants to have a banquet. She wants Haman at the banquet and wants, invited Haman and the king to sit with her at the table. And the king had said, hey, I, I will. I'll give you whatever you want, even if it's half the kingdom. And she said, just wait. Just wait. It's a surprise. I want to tell you at, at the banquet. So they get to the banquet and Haman's obsessed with himself. <laughs> I mean, he's got this execution plan all laid out for Mordecai. Some translations say he was going to impale him, but other translations say that he was going to hang him on the gallows. But the night before, the king can't sleep, so he asks the servants to bring him his 
annals. He begins to read and then he was reminded in his reading of the assassination plan that Mordecai rescued him from. And he says to Haman, what should the king do to honor someone? Well, Haman instantly thought it was him. That's what selfish people do. And the king says, I want, to, I want you to do that. I mean, so he tells him. So he says, I want you to do that for Matt Mordecai. Well, then we come to banquet number two. And banquet number two, we pick it up at Esther chapter seven. Queen Esther replied, if I found favor with the king and it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to these who would kill, slaughter and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet. For that would be too trivial a matter to warrant uh, disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and the queen. Then the king jumped to his feet and in rage, in a rage, went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. <laughs> he turned pale, did he? Boy, how bold was it that Esther, first of all, went to the king. Second of all, revealed who she was and her nationality. And then thirdly, her accuser sitting right there. Wow. So, the king's attendants tell of Haman's plan and to kill Mordecai. Xerxes then has Haman killed in the same way he was going to kill Mordecai. What a sudden turn of events. So unexpected, so ironic, so coincidental. Or was God at work? Was God at work to do a mighty thing? Was God at work to do something great? You see, God was in control the whole time. It may have seemed like He was absent. He was gone. He didn't care. But God was there. Though the book never talks about Him, He was there. Just like He is in our life. There's times when we pray and we don't sense Him. We don't feel Him. We don't see Him. We don't even think He's there. And He's hovering all over us. Some of you need to hear today that you're in a marriage that's difficult right now. But such a time as this, God can deliver. Maybe you're in a career that's very disappointing for now. But who knows But such a time as this. Maybe your financial picture is depressing. <laughs> yes. But that's just for now. God's not abandoned you. God has not quit working. Look what happens. God's people are saved. Mordecai's given Haman's estate and position. He becomes the prime minister, which created a festival of Purim that the Jews began to feast and remember, it was, a, it was a reminder of what Esther had done, her courage and her delivery of people. It's called Purim because per, P-U-R, the Hebrew word means casting dice or rolling the dice. You see, we can roll the dice, but it's God who creates the ending. It's God who has control over all things. 
While Haman cast the dice to decide the day of execution, God all along had it under control. Proverbs 16.33 says, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Which brings me to the third lesson I want you to take away. What appears to be the lower story random may actually be the upper story written. What seems random may be God's upper story being written. Because God was in control. God is at work and it's all in God's plan. God's fingerprints are all over it. And the next time you think your life is just random instead of, instead of wondering, we need, to, we need to ask, what's God up to? What's God up to? What does God have in store for me? How might God be using me in this situation? You see, Esther chose to play a role in God's upper story. A Christian rapper named Lecrae said this, Better to have a small role in God's story than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. <laughs> Isn't that a powerful statement? The festival of Purim is a celebration of the fact that the Jews were saved from extinction during Esther being queen. It's celebrated by the Jews of this very day every March. Colossians 2.16 and 17 tells us that all the feasts of holidays of God's people in the Old Testament are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And guess what? The reality that's yet to come for these folks, but that we've already experienced, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me, would you please? Father, we thank You so much for Your watch care over us. Every day in every way, we see You. There's times when we don't trust You. There's times when we want answers in a way that You're not ready to give. So Father, would we be patient? Would we wait? Would we continue to be faithful? And God, when the time comes, who knows but such for a time as this, that You have called us to do a great, great work and a mighty work for You. So God, would You bless each and every person here this morning. And if there's just one who's ready to take a stand for You, has never been baptized, would they come so we can teach them? Father, maybe there's somebody here who wants to join this church, make the church their home. We'd love for them to do that as well. We're not a perfect church, but we're sure forgiven of You. And we'll do our best to love them the way Your Son Jesus does. Father, whatever needs here, they may just need to come and fall on their knees, stand and sing our invitation, trust and obey. God's moving you. Would you move? When we walk with the Lord.